happy Easter. It's great to see you. I think um, it is conventional to say the Lord is risen. He's risen indeed. It's great news. Now, I had my blue envelope this week. I think it was Matt Hancock who said that hope was going to be injected into my arm. Uh, what a promise. Hope injected into my arm and hope has left my arm very sore still but I'm being a brave trooper I've taken some paracetamol Um, and indeed there's a truth in that there is hope isn't it we're just fed up with uh, hand sanitizer face masks social distancing and we long for a life that gets rid of all these restrictions and we hope that If everybody gets some vaccines injected into their arms, we hope the restrictions will be removed and life will return back to normal. We hope that's the case, don't we? We look forward to that. Free to see extended family. Free to hug. Free to sing. I mean, that's what we're looking forward to as church. I I hate being in church and not singing. Free to sing. We have been overshadowed by the prospect of death. I've never known a time where every day on the news we're reminded of the statistics. Uh, Last time I checked last night, it was 126,865 COVID-related deaths. But when everyone's vaccines are in their arms and these restrictions are gone, The truth is this, the threat of COVID will have gone, but death will still overshadow us. You know, I totted up the the average figures from 2019 of Northern Ireland, Scotland, England, and Wales, and it's over 600,000 deaths every year in the UK. So we mourn 126,000 COVID-related deaths, but the point is that every year normally we have over 600,000 deaths. You know, on average, 50,000 deaths in the UK. Is there any hope in the face of the shadow of death? Well, that's why Easter is so exciting. Have you ever considered this, the threat of death? Because the point is that there is a time when this will no longer be theoretical for you. I think COVID has made it all pressed in on us, but the time will become very personal. A friend of mine called Ben Shaw, he's an Aussie, he came to speak at Charlotte Chapel back in 2013 when we had a Words Alive Bible exhibition. Uh, He was planting a church in Putney in London until very recently, but Ben uh, had a toothache. He went to the doctor, uh, to the dentist. The dentist referred him to the the hospital and uh, they messed up the process another six weeks went by another six weeks finally got an appointment and he got the news that he had mandibular cancer so he had radiotherapy they tried immunotherapy didn't work they in the end uh, removed part of his mandible his lower jaw uh, and yet actually the cancer is still there and he's returned back to Australia to see out his final days I was listening to a friend of Ben's called um, uh, John, who has a podcast, uh, John Dixon, called Undeceptions, and, he, and he's a very close friend of Ben. And uh, during the conversation with Ben, uh, he asked him this question, has this experience of cancer, uh, and that it doesn't seem to be getting any better, has it dented your Christian faith? Ben replied, 
When I was diagnosed with cancer and the bad news that came with that, I did reconsider Christianity. Do I really believe this? I can confidently say yes, even more so. I honestly believe it's true, it's real. I have total confidence in what will happen to me when I die, after I die, and what will happen to all Christians. I'm deeply even more confident in these things. Now, what gives Christians such confidence and assurance? It's not some vague hopefulness. It's not happy thoughtery. The Christian hope is grounded in the historical facts, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And I want to take time uh, today to examine Mark's account of the resurrection and enable us to see the evidence he lays out there. There are some crucial facts that we need to understand. So you might want to open your Bibles back up to Mark chapter 15 uh, or open up your Bible apps as we look at this. Some crucial facts we need to understand. Firstly, Jesus died and was buried. Now, for some, this is actually a controversial point. Uh, Islam does not believe that Jesus died. Uh, that's according to Quran, Surah 4157. An English translation of that surah says this, For boasting, we killed the Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary, the messenger of Allah. But they neither killed nor crucified him. It was only made to appear so. They certainly did not kill him. Well, that's what the Quran teaches. But the witness of history and the New Testament is quite clear. Jesus was crucified and died. We've got the gospel accounts, but we've got lots of uh, outside of the New Testament evidence in history of this event. And Mark records, um, records that it's quite plain that many witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus. And he especially focuses on three named women who watched the gruesome ordeal. They're in chapter 15, verse 40. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, Mary the mother of James and the younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. Now notice the majority of the male disciples were nowhere to be seen, but there are these brave women highlighted amongst a group of women. Mary from the fishing village of Magdala in Galilee, Salome, the mother of James and John, we read in one of the other gospel accounts, and the second Mary could well be the mother of Jesus, but she is designated by her other sons, James and Joseph. These women uh, knew Jesus well, as we learn in verse 41. Uh, they, they followed Jesus around and the disciples, and they cared for them. They knew what Jesus looked like, and they knew and they witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus. And two of them also witnessed him being buried. If you look at verse 47, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Now, why does Mark mention them? Because he wants us to know this is an historical event. 
that the, the first readers of Mark's account, if they desired, could have gone and interviewed these women or those who knew them to verify Mark's record. And if there's any doubt about the certainty of his death, Mark goes on to give us some more proof. And I want to, I'm going to read these verses again from verse 42, but notice the repeated mention of the dead body of Jesus. Look at verse 42. It was preparation day. That is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body. And I, I read this passage again today, and I just thought about the pathos of that. He actually went up to the cross and took down the body of Jesus. He wrapped it in the linen and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock, and he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. It was unusual for crucifixion to result in death so quickly. It could take days for some people to die. And a skeptical Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, called the centurion who conducted the execution to discover if Jesus had really died. Now, the Romans were skilled at many things, but the soldiers were particularly good when it came to killing people. The Romans crucified literally hundreds of thousands of individuals during the centuries they had in power. And there's not one recorded case of a person surviving the cross. And this centurion who had stood and watched by the foot of the cross, he confirmed it was true. And having heard it was the case, Pilate grants the body to Joseph of Arimathea late on Friday afternoon. Mark is very blunt in the original language. In verse 45, he uses the word, uh, the corpse, for the body. The corpse was given to Joseph. He wants us to get the point. Pontius Pilate, the centurion, the Roman soldier, Joseph Arimathea, the, the women were all absolutely certain that Jesus had died. And so we need to bear this in mind as we come to chapter 16. We're not talking about resuscitation but we're talking about resurrection. So firstly, Jesus died and was buried. Secondly, Jesus was raised. Now the account reverts back uh, from Joseph to the women following the Saturday Sabbath. When um, Sabbath ended at sundown, they must have gone to the markets to buy some spices. And uh, then these women on the first day of the week, Sunday morning, uh, they had seen where he had been buried, and 36 hours later, they return to the tomb. And it's quite clear that they're not expecting Jesus alive. Um, they expect a corpse. The spices were not to embalm, but in that hot country, it was just to provide a better smell. I won't go into details, but you can imagine. And their biggest concern was, how were they going to get past the huge stone that covered the cave tomb. And then the women are subjected to three shocks of escalating intensity. The first shock comes when they come and find that the large stone 
that issue is now irrelevant, verse 4. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. Then comes the second shock, verse 5. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Now, Mark, in a very understated way here, refers to an angel. Now, angels don't appear very often in the Bible, but when they do, it's a very significant moment. Uh, when they speak, they often say exactly the same thing. Don't be alarmed, for no doubt it is a terrifying thing to actually meet an actual angel. But Mark wants us to know that he's still talking about history here, and he records that little eyewitness detail in verse 5, that this man was sitting on the right side of the tomb. These women were terrified, they're not delusional, and the man affirms the reality of of what is happening. And this is the third shocking thing. Verse 6, do not be alarmed, he said, You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Yes, this man from Nazareth, the one that you've been following these past three years, yes, the one you know who was killed, he really was buried here. You don't have the wrong address. And the fact that the body is not here anymore is not a criminal act of a grave robber. He has risen. And he invites them to see the place where they last saw the body of Jesus. So in Mark's account, the women are not directed to some mystical or spiritual experience. Sometimes people talk about that. But, oh, we, we, you know, we, we, we relate to some, some mystical Christ in our uh, imaginations. They're not directed to that. They're directed to the historical reality that Jesus, who died through crucifixion that they witnessed, was buried in a place that they witnessed, and now the tomb was empty, for he had been resurrected. The historical Jesus that they knew is the resurrected Jesus. And the angels, the first to proclaim the good news, that would spread right around the world. Jesus Christ, who was crucified, has been raised. Now, history is very clear on this that from the earliest days, a growing group of men and women became utterly convinced in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This was the message they proclaimed uh, and for which many died a martyr's death. Now, obviously, this is such an incredible claim that people have tried to undermine this central claim of Christianity. In the 19th century, Dr. Simon Greenleaf, who was a law professor at Harvard University was a famous skeptic of Christianity and he was challenged to evaluate the resurrection of Jesus using well-established legal principles and he wrote this to the laws of legal evidence the resurrection of Jesus Christ is proven by more substantial evidence than any other event of ancient history and other skeptics in the 20th century have done the same thing like Frank Morrison who was a lawyer and a journalist who looked at the evidence and became convinced that Christ was raised from the dead and he wrote a book, Who Moved the Stone? Or Lee Strobel, an atheist who was a journalist who worked as a legal editor for the Chicago Tribune and who again investigated the evidence and published his book, The Case for Christ, about his conversion to Christianity. So there's there's plenty of books you could look at if you want to look at the evidence for yourselves. But this morning, I want us to consider the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, there's two great questions 
you ask when you study the Bible. The what question, what does it say? And the so what question, what does it mean? So let's look at Mark's so what. Jesus raised from the dead, so what? Well, I think we find it there in verse 7 of chapter 16. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him just as he told you. At the empty tomb, these women are told, go and tell. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is news of great hope. Great hope of a fresh start. I don't know whether you've ever been in the middle of a project and it's become such a disastrous mess, you wish you could start all over again. That would explain a lot of my DIY experiences, to be quite honest. We just move houses. We leave the bad DIY behind us and try and press on to the new thing. But I, I know that some people feel that about their own personal lives. People hit their, their 30s and their 40s and their 50s, and they think, well, how did, I, how did I get here? What a mess I've made of my life. I wish I could scrub the whole thing and start again. And I want to say to you today that the resurrection of Jesus Christ tells us that a fresh start is possible. It offers us great hope for forgiveness of the mess of the past. Just consider this. Who is it that these women are told to share the news with? We'll look back at verse 7. His disciples and Peter. Do you remember? Peter denied Jesus three times, all the disciples, he deserted. The message is, go and tell the disciples and Peter. Yeah, the one who boasted about his loyalty, but denied him three times, tell him. Now, these could have been the words over the disciples' lives, sinners, failures, hopeless, but the cross and the resurrection of Jesus can change the darkest place into the most brilliant light. And Jesus had a message to pass on to these men. He would meet them again. The same place where he first called them, back in Galilee. So go and tell his disciples and Peter, a bloodied cross and an empty tomb still holds our absolutely amazing hope to moral failures today. Amazing hope. However dark and difficult your circumstances, the message of Easter is that a fresh start is possible. For Jesus is going ahead of them as their Savior, who died so their sins can be forgiven, who is raised as a proof and vindication that it was completed, and their Lord, who can lead them through this life into the life that never ends. For that is the second great hope of the resurrection gives us. It is the hope of eternal life. Hope of a fresh start, of forgiveness. Hope of eternal life. Not only can the sins of the past be forgiven, but we have a leader in our lives now, and we have certainty of life for the future. Of course there is life beyond death. The resurrection of Jesus proves this beyond doubt. And that's why my friend Ben Shaw could say this, I have total confidence in what will happen to me when I die and what will happen to all Christians. See, if we put our hand into the hand of Jesus, death is no longer something that needs to be feared. He can wake us up 
into everlasting life. Now the challenge to us who know and believe the good news of Jesus, the crucified, but now resurrected one, is the same today. Go and tell. And notice the, the, the urgency of verse 7. Go tell his disciples. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him just as he told you. All these events have taken place just as he told them. The disciples and the women should not really have been surprised by the resurrection. He had repeatedly told them what was going to happen. Do you remember? Chapter 8, the Son of Man must be killed, and after three days rise again. Chapter 9, they will kill him, and after three days he will rise again. Chapter 10, the Gentiles will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later he will rise. Chapter 14, 28, after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And here's the note of urgency. Everything that Jesus said would take place did take place. And in Mark chapter 13, he also prophesied the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, and that took place. And he promises that he's, there's a day coming when he will return again, but this time to bring God's judgment. Resurrection is a place of great hope, that there's life beyond death, but resurrection is also a warning that after death comes the judgment, the Bible says. And where will we be as we stand before God on resurrection day? when we're held to account before our Creator. Now, what I want to say today is that God in His kindness has held back that judgment day for Easter 2021 because He wants this good news to go out, because He wants many more people to know the joy of forgiveness, of a fresh start, so that they're ready to face God covered in the forgiveness that Christ has achieved for them on that judgment day, so that no longer does death have to be feared, no longer does judgment day have to be feared when we believe the message of the angel and the apostolic witness. So what is our response today? Well, there's two responses in, in Mark's account. The first is the initial response of the women. It's a very surprising end to the gospel. I think verse 8 is where it ends. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So they commanded to go and tell, but instead of announcing the resurrection, initially out of fear, they flee and tell no one. Now, later they did. But Mark leaves us hanging there. Out of fear, they don't tell anybody. That's the first response, and it stands in great contrast to Joseph of Arimathea. He's sandwiched in between these references to the women. If you look back at uh, chapter 15, verse 43, he was a respected member of the Jewish council, the one who, the, the very council only days before had condemned Jesus to death, and he was a Jewish religious leader who was looking for the kingdom of God. Now, we don't know what part he played in that trial, whether he remained silent at that trial, but somehow the death of Jesus brought him a newfound confidence, which is all the more remarkable when you think about it. His days as a secret disciple were, were over. And with great courage, he marked himself out before the, his fellow council members and before the Roman authorities by going to Pilate and asking for the body of Jesus. Now, to link yourself with someone executed by the state 
is a big statement, don't you think? And by handling the body, he was making himself ritually unclean before the Sabbath. But Jesus was more important to him than his reputation. He was more important to him than his standing amongst the, his community of fellow leaders. And here is an act of incredible devotion and respect to Jesus, just as great as the woman who poured perfume on his body uh, days before preparing for his burial. Joseph, um, she anointed his body in preparation for his burial. Joseph physically takes the body and buries it in his own tomb. And so we've got these two responses, one of fear and silence, and the other of courage and identification with Jesus. And my question to you today is, what will our response be to this good news? Um, real disciples don't stay on the sidelines. They're willing to identify themselves with the crucified one and the risen one. You know, I think we've got the best news on the planet. There's nothing else. Uh, if this is the only hope you've got, I pity you. There's far greater hope in Jesus Christ. Forgiveness and a fresh start is possible. Death no longer to be feared. Jesus is the grave robber. A living Lord to love and guide us. And I think that is the best news on the planet and the question is this to us today will we go and tell